Something astonishing uh, came out of Russia some months ago. There was an offer on the part of the government to the peasants to give them land that they could cultivate on their own. Now, we've heard that uh, a third of the country is privately owned by farmers and that that produces about 50% of the crop. We've known uh, from this how important it is for a person to feel that he has his own thing to develop rather than a uh, big group project owned amorphously by the people. Uh, and yet the astonishing thing happened was that none of the peasants, according to the report that I read, would accept that, that gift of land. Now this could mean one of two things. One, the typical peasant skepticism that this is really a, a gift without strings attached. And the other could be that they have reached the point of being so habituated to being taken care of by the system that they don't want to face the possibility of having to stand on their own feet and take their own risks. In fact, with the falling of the Berlin Wall, with the opening up of the Eastern Bloc countries, we've seen a great deal of that attitude, a certain fear of free enterprise, a fear of doing things on their own without any guarantees that would protect them from failure. The thought, of, uh, the thought that maybe mediocrity is better than total failure. This has been really an interesting period to live through because we find contrasted two basic opposites of philosophy. The one is the strong emphasis on freedom, individual freedom of conscience, of, of action, of uh, being able to say what you want to say, and so on. There was a joke that came out of Russia. A, friend, a Russian friend of ours was there a few months ago and came back and he said, well, the people are saying that uh, now we have everything that you Americans have. He said, you have freedom, we have freedom. You have freedom of speech, we have freedom of speech. The only slight difference is that you have freedom after speech. I don't know if this is so, but the truth is that there has been a great deal of emphasis in our society also on at the expense of freedom, at the price of freedom, giving people security. Personally, I'm all for freedom, and I'd rather have freedom without security than security without freedom. But there are many people who have, been, who have tried to insist that all you need to do is give people enough food to eat and a uh, roof over their heads, shelter, clothing, and they'll be well off. My feeling is we are not just like animals. We are people with a certain dignity. We owe it to ourselves to walk our own road, to develop our own lives, to reach out toward our own destiny. And so I'm solidly in the camp of free enterprise. I was born in Romania, I grew up there, and I went back there a few years ago and I saw the dismal results of their so-called communist experiment. Nobody smiling, nobody happy, everybody bitter that we encountered, just really bitter about everything to the extent that they assumed 
calmly that if it came, if a thing came from the West, it would have to be good. If it came from the Eastern Bloc countries, the communist countries, per se, it had to be bad. So we see that the system doesn't seem to be working for people all that well over there, in fact, very badly. But now I'd like to ask you another question. We talk a lot about freedom. First of all, I would like to ask, are we happy with what we have? And secondly, I'd like to ask, even more importantly, how free are we really? Is it really freedom to vote? Is it really freedom to say what you want to say? When every time you open your mouth, you have the chance to put your foot in it. Many times we can say just the thing that makes us worse off, not better. Is that freedom? Do we want the freedom to make mistakes? Sure. But do we want the freedom to deliberately go against all that is good for us? Well, we want the freedom to grow, yes, but we don't want to be told what to do. But we mustn't live in the delusion that doing something is freedom just because you're doing what you want to do. Because your, your very desires are a kind of bondage. You are bound so long as you think you have to have anything. You are bound so long as you can't break out of any little mental enclosure or enclosure of habit or desire that you have built for yourself or that you have allowed to grow up around you. Real freedom is not just being able to go out there and make a fast buck. Real freedom is not just being able to print what you want to. And in fact, I don't know how much freedom we really have. I think that the newspapers are very much guided by uh, a number of policies that you and I don't have a chance to get in on at all. I think that uh, the government prevents us from doing a lot of things that we would like to do. And I don't think that we would be more free if we could overcome these difficulties, these obstacles, these things that we don't like and wish were different. In other words, I don't think that by campaigning for political liberty, we will have what we want. We should have political liberty. We should have the right to vote. We should have all these freedoms that we talk about. What we should not have is the delusion that those things make us free. Because real freedom is of the spirit. Real freedom is when you can be free in yourself and not bound by any dictate of habit, outward circumstance, or mental conditioning. Now, how do you find that kind of freedom? Some people find it. There's a saying about the French that if four Frenchmen will agree on something, the fifth will disagree on principle, just because he, he would feel the importance of affirming an opposite point of view. Many people think that by be, being contrarians, being contrary to anything that everybody else is saying, that they are emphasizing freedom. There's no more freedom in that. That's also a kind of conditioning. Some people are doing this, so automatically you do the opposite. What kind of freedom is that? No, if you will really want to find freedom, then what you've got to do is go into that part of yourself that is no longer bound by matter. You need to go into the inner silence. Calm your thoughts in meditation. Calm your feelings. When you can reach the point where no matter where you are, you feel free, where nobody can bug you because you feel free inside, 
where even if you're in a dungeon, you can find joy because you have it inside, where nobody can take that from you. There was a lovely story of my spiritual teacher, Paramhansa Yogananda. He was standing on a street corner, I think it was in Philadelphia. Three hold-up men came and with pistols in their hands demanded that he give them, that they give him, uh, his, that he give them uh, all the money that he had. And uh, he fished into his pockets and gave it to them with a smile. He said, you, I can give you this, it doesn't mean anything to me. But they were sort of a little nervous at this strange reaction. No fear, no resistance, just go ahead. Um, then he said, but there's something I have you can't take from me. And they were looking at each other saying, what's the matter with this guy? Is he crazy? And then he looked at them with love. He, thought, he felt God's presence in himself and he felt God's presence in them. And loving God in them with that power of love that you have when you love God. He looked at them and they suddenly started to shake all over. And they said, what have you done to us? What have you done to us? We can't live like this anymore. And they just dropped the money and ran as if for their lives. Now, when you can have that kind of freedom where money doesn't really mean anything to you, it's a convenience. But if you don't have it, then you don't have it. You're not bound by this. You don't need to have this because you have whatever you will ever have. You were born naked and you will die naked. You, will, you were born with nothing, you will die with nothing. You were born with no one except parents around you telling you that you belong to them, but really you've come into this world sort of wondering what's going on. You don't feel a part of it yet. And when you go, it'll be the same thing. You'll leave everything behind, but you will be there. Why not fill yourself with that kind of inner freedom and joy that when you go from this world, then you won't have lost anything. Live your life, Yogananda used to say, in such a way that um, in the beginning, everybody's laughing happily. You're the one who's crying. Let it, let your, live your life in such a way that when you go, everybody cries, but you are laughing in God and in your freedom in Him. Don't allow anything to condition you. Don't allow yourself to identify yourself as being any particular thing. Some people are so hooked into who they are. I'm an American. I'm a Frenchman. I'm a Russian. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm a man. Or I'm a woman. Or I'm young. Or I'm old. Or I'm rich. Or I'm poor. Or I'm an artist. Or I'm a businessman. I remember somebody was telling me in New in. Uh, uh, San Francisco, Montgomery Street in San Francisco is the, you might say the Wall Street of San Francisco, it's the financial district. And he was saying to me, I work on Montgomery Street. <clears throat> he paused with a gasp of amazement and, and uh, uh, respect, which didn't come. So he had to sort of drive it and he said, of course, you know what that means. Well, yes, I did know what it meant. It meant ulcers and worries and a lot of self-importance and too high bills for uh, clothing and lots of other burdens and not that much reward. It, it's nice to have enough money in the bank to go to Mexico if you want to occasionally or uh, take a trip around the world, but that's not freedom. The freedom isn't doing what you want to do when you want to do it. The freedom is not needing to do it. 
The freedom is to be able to accept whatever comes and not let it affect you in your own heart. When a person takes from you whatever you have, you become bitter very likely, don't you? But if you don't feel you ever had it in the first place, then it's his. It doesn't matter. One time Yogananda, this was a lovely story, he was, uh, when he was a, a boy, his father bought him a motorcycle, a Harley Davidson. Now, this was back in about 1915, and cars, motorcycles were a rarity even here, and certainly they were so in India. And he enjoyed this motorcycle like uh, any, any teenager would, except that he also had this thought that nothing really belonged to him because he was seeking God even at that age. And sometimes he would drive it at a little sidecar and he'd drive through the streets of Calcutta with his guru sitting beside him and with his orange swami robes flapping in the breeze and long hair streaming out behind him. People used to call him laughingly the motorcycle swami. Well, anyway, one day he came home or uh, let's see, he was in the home and he was, he'd left the motorcycle outside and he came out of the house and he saw uh, a man standing there looking at the motorcycle admiringly. And Yogananda said, it's beautiful, isn't it? And the man said, oh, if only I had something like this. And Yogananda said, really, you like it that well? Oh, it's wonderful. Yogananda said, then take it, it's yours. The man said, well, what do you mean? I, I can't afford to buy it. He said, no, I'm giving it to you. He said, just a minute, I'll go in and get the pink slip of ownership and bring it back and sign it to you. And he felt so good inside because he felt that God had given it to him and now God wanted it to take it away through somebody else and let him have it. When a person can be that free in his heart, then you can say that he's free. It's sort of like, I've used this illustration in another of these talks, a person skiing downhill. A person who's centered in himself when he skis, as soon as a mogul comes up and he has to turn left or right, he can do it. But a person who's committed, who's not centered in himself, who's out there sort of all legs, elbows, knees, and so on, um, the least little change of direction, he falls over. Why? Because he's committed to a different direction. Somebody who's centered in his spine can turn any way he wants to. In fact, I was on the ski slopes a few years ago, and there was a woman there who had, I, I saw her, it was sort of painful to watch because her only way of getting down the hill was to ski diagonally across it, fall down at the other, end, other side of the slope, get up, put her skis on, direct them the crosswise across the slope again, diagonally across, fall down at the other side, get up, and so she kept going down the hill. So when I saw her one time at the top of the slope, I said, you know something I found helpful? I found that I try to feel that I'm centered in my spine and all my movements sort of go out from that center, but I never lose that sense of center. And I find that when I do that, I don't have to think in terms of making a turn by shifting my weight onto the downhill ski and moving my elbows out and swinging my hips or whatever it is that you're taught to do. I don't really have to think. I just keep myself centered and I think I want to go left and I find I'm going left. I feel right, I sort of lean right and go right. And uh, this seemed like pretty simple advice, almost too simple, but you know I saw her a little bit later 
and her eyes were just shining with excitement. And she said, you know, it works. And from then on, she found she didn't have any trouble. Well, try that in your own life. Don't let anybody get you off center. Don't let anybody pull you out of yourself. Always try to feel that whatever you're doing, your center is here. You are complete in yourself. And everything else, you can enjoy it for a while, but it's not you. You are none of the things that you think you are. You are simply a spark of consciousness in this great ocean of divine consciousness. And when you go, that's what you'll take with you. And the character that you developed in developing this inner consciousness. How kind you are, how unkind you are. How free you are, how bound you are. How expansive you are, how contractive you are. Uh, how calm you are, how restless you are. These are the things that you will take with you that will determine how you live beyond this world. But in this world, to live well, live in the thought that you are free in God, that nothing and no one belongs to you, that you do your best by everyone. It doesn't mean that you become indifferent. Rather, it makes you more willing to help other people, more joyful in your work for other people. But you don't feel that the money that you get matters that much to you. Some people will say, well, you have to be practical. My feeling is that faith is the most practical thing there is. When you live with faith in God, I can tell you, I just know it's so. I've, I've experienced it in my life, in the lives of friends of mine who have done the same thing. I've seen it again and again and again. When you live with faith, faith that he knows what he's doing, he'll take care of you. Sometimes he tests you. Sometimes he'll make you think that the thing he's giving you is the worst thing, the last thing you'd ever want. But if you really have faith, you'll be amazed to see that it all turned out for the best. It may not be what you thought you wanted, but it's what you ter it turned out that you really did want. So live free. Live in yourself. Live free in God. Live free in eternity. L realize that this life is temporary, but that you are eternal. And the few years of this earth life are like just a few seconds in the great eternity that's still to come. And in that endless reach of those endless reaches of time before you were born on earth, you are of old, O son of man, yea, of everlasting. <laughs>